There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We know that we'll be a better organization with a diverse workforce, not just because people will be able to relate to us and have greater trust in us as an organization, but because we'll get better thought better analytical skills, better investigative skills, better operational capabilities through a diverse workforce. The longer I'm embedding, the more I see a larger diverse range of people coming through and obviously feeling comfortable in putting in those applications and trying to get through the process. You're listening to the National Security Podcast, the show that brings you expert analysis, insights and opinion on the national security challenges facing Australia and the Indo-Pacific. Produced by the ANU National Security College. Welcome to the National Security Podcast. My name is Caroline Van Heusen, Deputy Head, National Security College, and one of the hosts of this year's podcast mini-series on cultural and linguistic diversity. Today's podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. This is the fifth episode in our mini-series, and today we will be discussing the important, and dare I say it, challenging, complicated, even vexing, topic of security clearances and security vetting. We will be focusing on the highest level clearances only, the Top Secret Privileged Access, or TSPA, clearance that will over time replace the current TSPV, or Positive Vet Security Clearance. These are clearances that are increasingly being managed by the new vetting authority that sits within ASIO, the Australian Secret Intelligence Organisation. The authority works closely with, but is separate from, and manages different clearances to, the Australian Government Vetting Agency, or AGSFA. And it focuses only on highest level security clearance vetting and clearance management for the national security community. This is a subject that has been raised in several of our previous episodes, and it's great to have the opportunity to discuss it at length today. I'm joined by co-host Carl Chang from the Office of National Intelligence. Hi, Carl. Nice to see you again. Hi, Carolyn. And by Ewan McMillan, Deputy Director General for Vetting from ASIO. Hi, Ewan. Good afternoon. It's great to be here. Thank you for coming. And Vanessa, an experienced vetting analyst also from ASIO. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us and welcome, everyone. Carl, can I turn to you first? Why is this conversation important? Why do you think we need to talk about vetting, including through this little mini-series on cultural and linguistic diversity? Yeah, thanks, Caroline. Look, this is probably one of the most recurring and important questions that we've had through this podcast from the very first episode. Uh, and, you know, it, it is important because uh, for a, n- a number of different reasons, I guess. First of all, because um, it is p- about one of the the gateways into a a career in intelligence or working in national security. And I think more extensively, it's one of those areas where there's a perceptional barrier around how you might join into the national security community as well. And particularly, I kind of wanted to mention 
Um, you know, it was raised in the Women and National Security podcast last year by Elise Stevenson in her research, talking about how uh, vetting and security background checks heavily factored into explicit and Im- implicit discrimination, potentially uh, in a traditional sense. And really, how do we value and interpret different sort of measures of loyalty, maturity, and, and trustworthiness? And and to what extent does, does that then impact on people from different diversity groups, whether they're g- from gender diversity, from disability, from from cold? Uh, so I think that's really important. And only last week, another APS uh, agency was talking to me around a couple of different issues, one around sort of generalist versus specialist, if you come from a cultural linguistic background, but also quite importantly around um, security clearances as well. Mm. So I think for that, um, that's one reason. And then more broadly for the drivers across the national intelligence community um, workforce. I think modernization is, is really important because it helps us adapt to changing norms, how we work, where we work and who we work with, the expectations of people coming into our workforce. Uh, and I think also the way we now work more broadly with academia, with industry, uh, who also might need security clearances and definitely come from a, a more diverse uh, set of backgrounds. So I think in, in all those different uh, uh, realms, that's really important for us in addressing access to talent, the benefits of broader skill sets and experience, uh, but still balanced against that very important requirement to provide assurance against threats, which I'm sure uh, you and will talk to us about as well. Absolutely. And it's a great segue actually to go into the next question, which is for you, Ewan. Why does government need security vetting? Thanks, Caroline. Uh, look, fundamentally, it's about protecting secrets. Uh, all nations have them. Some nations share their secrets with other nations and fundamentally, as part of the safety, security, stability, prosperity of this country, it's important that we're able to, at its core, safeguard those secrets that are important to the ability for the nation uh, to, as I said, be safe and secure and prosperous. They've been around for years uh, and, and history's littered with numerous examples of where, unfortunately, individuals have, uh, have betrayed their country uh, and fundamentally... Uh, the core issue here is making sure that the people who are entrusted with those secrets, that if they're compromised, could do grave damage to the country, are the right people. Uh, making sure that over the years as we have, that we change and we change the system to reflect the society as itself changes. Yeah, and I think we'll come back to the reforms that are going on shortly. But Vanessa, can I ask you to talk us through the process, including perhaps how analysts engage with candidates throughout? Yeah, absolutely. So basically the way that the process goes is everyone is required to meet the same criteria. Everyone is assessed against that same criteria. So, but we also recognise no two individuals are actually the same. So if I go through what the similarities are for everyone, so everyone fills out what is frankly a giant pack. (laughs) Um, If anyone has similar life admin abilities as I do, then it can be a bit intimidating, but please plug through it. Um, Everyone goes through psychological testing. Everyone goes through a psychological interview as well. Everyone is interviewed themselves. So everyone has an opportunity to talk to the analyst that is looking at their case. We also look at uh, referees. So we will have a chat to both nominated and unnominated referees. Basically, then what happens is all of this information is pulled together and reviewed by an analyst who then uses their judgment to make an assessment against that criteria that I mentioned before. 
So I do acknowledge that you can find yourself repeating yourself uh, a bit throughout all of these processes, um, but uh, rest assured that is for a reason. Where things start to change for the individual is everyone has the same pack that they fill out. These are the same questions that you answer, but there will be different important pieces of information for different people. Uh, Everyone at interview will have the same questions to answer, but then there will be extra questions that we ask you that are unique to your circumstances. So if I can use examples, uh, if I look at religion, if you are a particularly religious person, regardless of your religion, you'll be asked about that religion because it is important to you. And we are undertaking a whole of person assessment. So if it's important to you, it's important to us as well. Access to community groups. We want to know about not only what's important to you, but who's important to you. So who are you spending your time with? Uh, who, who kind of is important to you in terms of relationships, whether, regardless of whether that's kind of, uh, sexual relationships or if that is just friends, family, cohort. Like it's a whole of person assessment. We want to get to know you and your life and the people that are around you and supporting you and what you do as part of your life. Uh, so every individual will obviously have different experiences with regards to that and it's important for us to get to know you so that we can make a fulsome and accurate um, assessment on you as an individual but also on that suitability to hold a clearance. At no point does diversity characteristics indicate a security concern either, which is important to remember. So uh, it may feel that way, but rest assured, everyone is getting asked questions about the important aspects of their life. So sexual orientation, for example, everyone gets asked questions around that. So it's not an automatic excluder? No, definitely not. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting, and Carl, you may be able to address this as well, a really interesting uh, thought the community wants more diversity. The process historically perhaps has limited the diversity that comes through. So we're wanting to get more more people in with different backgrounds, but we have historically excluded them. How do we? Can you talk to that and how perhaps it's changing? What are some of the reforms? Okay, so in terms of on the ground reforms, when it comes to our vetting analysts. We have been putting a lot of work into diversity and inclusion training. Um, so this we haven't this isn't something that we're just creating ourselves. We've actually gone externally to partners, to various partners. There's been a lot of focus groups. We've had a lot of engagement across the NIC as well as outside of the government as well. Um, and we want to improve. We want to learn what we can do better and we want to hear about people's experiences and how we can correct that in the future. I can't speak for vetting even 10 years ago um, and I know that even before I came into vetting I was uh, told rumours about for example, if you're bisexual, it means you can't make up your mind and therefore you're not going to get a clearance. <laughs> That's not the case at all. Um, basically, we want people with diversity to apply Getting a TSPA clearance is difficult for everyone regardless and I can acknowledge that for some people in the community it can feel even harder and I think that perhaps back in the day it may have been the case but we are working really hard to make sure that we're giving everyone the opportunity to have a fair and respectful process. So... 
Uh, I was going to ask in in that, can you talk a little bit more about, I guess, what sort of specific areas of training or things that you're considering? I mean, I think there's a perception that if you're from a particular diversity group called diversity, you might not get a clearance um, from your background. Um, and then people might self-select out, for example, as, as a result of that. Um, and then I think that the people who work inside agencies who already are in, I think it's 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 about the, the whole of life obligations that you have more generally to to report, um, the impact that might have with your relationships in your community group or, or more broadly. Uh, and in some instances, obviously, um, cultural sensitivity in terms of approaching more sensitive topics or, or some of those issues. I think So I think people would be interested in hearing a little bit more about that. Absolutely. So the diversity and inclusion training covers off on not only why diversity is important, but it talks about barriers people with diversity characteristics can face. Uh, it talks about different cultural backgrounds. It talks about um, the, the different experiences that uh, different people have within the community and how that can impact them going through the vetting process as well, uh, even down to the basis of terminology. Um, I think that a key thing for people to walk away from listening to this podcast with is that if you're unsure, if you're uncomfortable, you're allowed to talk to your vetting analyst about it. In fact, they want to know. So if they're using the incorrect gender pronouns, for example, pull them up on it. Please do. Uh, Any vetting analyst that takes that to heart, well, there's a separate problem there, right? So it's they've gone through training, they know that they need to be professional and they want to hear from you about your concerns because it makes their job easier as well. Because if you're sitting there and acting uncertain about something, explaining to them why you're feeling that uncertainty helps them understand you. And it gives you an opportunity to address those concerns and hopefully feel better about that too. So it's almost your your moment to be able to um, put your perspective forward and help the vetting process and your own vetting process at the same time. Yeah, thank you. It's a great explanation of the process and it's clearly long and complicated and involved and I think some would say fairly intrusive and Very difficult. So. I think part of the messaging though is that vetting analysts aren't there to judge. Ewan, can you speak to us a little bit about vetting itself and some of the reforms, I guess, that um, – we're going through or the process is going through and what success ultimately looks like. What are we trying to do differently and what are we trying to get to? Uh, ASIO is uh, leading a, a suite of reforms along with our partners in the Office of National Intelligence to how we do the highest level of security clearance vetting uh, in Australia. AGSFA within the defence portfolio remains and will remain uh, a critical part of the vetting capability and we'll look after those lower level clearances going forward. The, the two principal drivers that have led us to this point are first, the threat to Australia. Uh, ASIO now publicly acknowledges and has for some time that the greatest threat to Australia's national security is from espionage and foreign interference. Uh, and in that complex, challenging and changing threat environment, we've taken the view that we need to be constantly reforming, changing, hardening and uplifting our security clearance processes to make sure that we're always match fit and we're responding to that threat as it changes. But more on workforce, uh, the model that we're moving away from didn't really help us in terms of getting mobility and transferability and consistency as it related to clearances. 
We had what we call the federated model, where at the highest level, five separate agencies were undertaking their own clearances. And unsurprisingly, even though there was a core common foundation of policy, each agency had its own requirements, its own operational considerations, its own risk tolerances, which resulted in differences in clearances. And over the years, it was fundamentally a dissatisfaction with the fact that it seemed that every time someone wanted to move from agency A to B, they had to go through the ringer again. And that was just obviously stifling collaboration and efficiency, and that's just not a good outcome. Lastly, and whilst these aren't the principal things that we're seeking to fix, it's about that transferability and mobility and responding to the threat that we're confronted by. We know, because we've heard loud and clear, that people find the process frustrating. They think it's opaque. The Inspector General of Intelligence and Security described it as a black box. It's difficult to understand. Uh, Common criticism, it takes too long. Uh, And I think that is justified criticism in many cases. And today is partly about busting myths and being more open and transparent, which is a theme that we're very strong on in the community so that the community that we protect and serve can understand better uh, what we do and what a career looks like. Uh, And I think we have committed and will continue to commit that as we can, in addition to those things that Vanessa's covered off that are about making sure that the process defeats any bias, make sure that every individual feels welcome and open and able to engage in the process without concern, without feeling that they need to hold back, is we know that we need to do more and make it more efficient and faster, and we will do that. Change like this takes time. We're we're collapsing years and decades of culture and processes across other agencies. We're patient, but we also know that some people aren't as patient as we are, and therefore we've got to work hard and we will work hard. And I'm very confident that in the next two to three years, even faster than that, there's going to be dramatic change in this space and people are going to see the tangible benefits of what we're, what we're working on. Yep. So you do think ultimately it will end up to be a shorter and more transparent or less opaque process perhaps? Look, look I think it has to be. Uh, we're faced with huge workforce challenges. Uh, our leaders are very open about that. Uh, It's a critical vulnerability in terms of sustaining our capability and we want a more sophisticated and diverse workforce. Uh, All the reasons why diversity matters, uh, I don't need to repeat, it's fundamentally important. It's committed to by all of the agency heads within the NIC and across the community. We know that vetting is a factor that causes people to walk away or not even bother looking in the first place. So we've got our role to play as part of the bigger recruitment, attraction and onboarding process to make sure that we're squeezing out of the vetting process all of those reasons or myths or factors that might actually create, uh, you know, the inability for people to make it into into the NIC or into the broader national security community. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a really good point. I mean, you and I mean, just just before coming out out today, I mean, I was looking and I could see even in some universities now that they are actually sort of holding seminars for people at university talking about what does it mean to get a security clearance and raising that level of awareness so that as people looking at their career paths, including into roles that might require that clearance at whatever level. Um, it's helping educate people around what those opportunities are, but also if you want that opportunity, what's what's involved. Now, so in, in many respects, 
that outreach, I think, is is really critical. And the second part is really just, um, I think, you know, I can, we can, for those of us who who are working uh, in the national security space or in the intelligence space, um, it is an immense source of frustration uh, at times because you know we 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 really need good people, um, and you know trying to balance those 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 different things are, is a real challenge. But um, you know. Ultimately, that's that's what we need. We need the talent to come to come into to our agencies. You're absolutely right, Carl. And I often get asked uh, or hear of people asking, "What's the secret sauce here? There must be a way to get through the vetting process." Uh, and the answer is actually there is no secret sauce. There is no cookie cutter solution here. As Vanessa's quite rightly stressed a number of times, it's a it's an individual whole of person assessment. There's also this perception that. People who have security clearances must have had really boring lives and they haven't got colour, they haven't engaged in a bit of adventure, they haven't engaged with a bit of risk and that's just not so not true. Uh, that's A, what we don't want uh, in our employees and we also don't want people to feel that they have to live a particular life in a particular way. The most important thing that you can bring to the vetting process is openness and honesty. Yeah, uh, honesty. It, And we'll say that time and time again is don't be fearful of the questions that are being asked. Don't be fearful of providing an honest answer. Don't think that you're being judged. Ultimately, what we're looking for is vulnerabilities that someone might use to coerce you to betray the secrets that you're being given the responsibility to protect. If you talk to them about those things, then we know about them and we're able to then work with you, bring you in as a trusted colleague and protect you and understand those vulnerabilities and ensure that they never get to be realised. And often people think the best way to get through is to withhold and not tell and to hopefully game the system. Our vetting analysts can see that. We can see that. The process is designed to pick up those anomalies. So just come in, be yourself, and answer the questions honestly and openly. Yeah, it's a really powerful message actually, isn't it, that honesty piece. I think there's also something around... Working in national security is not necessarily a good fit for everybody um, and that's an important thing to to work out before you start in an organisation. So I don't know if there's anything you can speak to around that but ensuring that it is the right people that come through. Yeah. I think I think that's a hard one though because it, it, it certainly from, from a lot of people's experience is like you're trying to join something you know only a little bit about, right, and, mm. and so not having sufficient information um, to make an educated choice sometimes makes it more difficult. Now, I think this is where uh, all of our agencies have a role to play in terms of their own um, presentation and outreach. And I, and I know from many, many agencies, they are doing more to put more information in the public space about what they do, the nature of the work, uh, the sorts of things and characteristics of people that they're, they're looking for uh, in order to give more information, more direct engagement at, at universities, in industry forums and so on and so forth. I think I think that's that's really critical, but it is still. I mean, I think necessarily there are degrees of opaqueness in some some specific areas, but as we've already seen through this podcast, we've had a number of members of the community come on here and to talk about their work. We've had agencies go out, agency heads go out, and also talk about the work of their agencies. So I really do think um, the the NIC in particular, the National Intelligence Community, is trying to put its best foot forward in terms of trying to actually give people more information. Uh, and people shouldn't be hesitant of trying to actually ask agencies for, for that information in a career sense. Yeah, I agree, Carly. Great, great points. 
been a really big push across the leadership of the community. Uh, I think it was the head of the British Secret Intelligence Service coined the phrase that to operate in secret, you don't need to be secretive. And mm. I think that really says a great deal. And I think the leadership of our agencies have really embraced that. That transparency is important, both in terms of giving the public confidence uh, that we operate within the law, that we're uh, accountable, that we're overseen appropriately, but to remove some of those nagging doubts that some may feel that that they don't want, want to be in the intelligence community based on some perceptions that might be inspired by Hollywood or uh, in the cultural and ethically diverse community may well be inspired by their own experiences uh, and their own vision or uh, reality as they may have encountered intelligence and security services in other countries. Uh, and it's important that at every step we can help people understand that we're Australia, we're an open and free democracy, and that our, our agencies reflect that and reflect the values that are so dear to us as a nation in that regard. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In this disrupted world, Australia needs security professionals more than ever. Join the next generation studying at the ANU National Security College. Our programs uniquely fuse academic knowledge with practitioner experience and fit around your lifestyle with study offered online and on campus. Follow the link in the show notes for more information about programs and scholarships. The ANU National Security College. Engaging minds for a secure Australia. Actually, that's an interesting segue, perhaps, to talk about what qualities uh, a vetting analyst actually might have. Like, mm. what what are you looking for in someone to be a, a vetting analyst? It sounds like a challenging and complex job dealing with people and and uh, you know all the issues that we just talked about. Uh, respect for other people would probably be the biggest one, um, and I think bringing back to that someone that's non judgmental. So they're there not to make a judgment. Uh, a moral judgment. They're there to make an assessment against government policy criteria. Um, naturally curious would also be another one. So it is an incredibly difficult job. You do need to have key analysis skills, but you also need to be able to talk to people because you're obviously going to be interviewing people about very sensitive topics. You need to be able to communicate with people that are feeling uncomfortable. I don't know a single person that has gone through the vetting process that hasn't felt uncomfortable at some point. It is incredibly invasive. Um, but everyone that is doing the job understands that because they've been through it themselves. So um, just being able to make people feel comfortable within the realms of possibility um, being such an uncomfortable process and having those analysis skills. Good question, Carl. And I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you guys are actually advertising at the minute, are we not? Looking for more analysts? Thanks for the plug, Carol. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. Absolutely. If you go to the ASIO website, you'll see that we've got a current recruitment process going underway. We're looking for vetting analysts uh, across the community, uh, but specifically to grow ASIO's vetting capability. 
And Vanessa undersells it. They're an amazing group of people yeah. and a great team to be part of. Yeah. And we do a fair bit of work with the analysts here at the college as well, and they are an amazing group and um, really committed to the cause and the job that they have to do, and they are uh, a very, very important part of the national security community. So nice question, Carl. Good plug there. <laughs> That's <okay>. well, <laughs> well, well, maybe maybe I can ask another question, uh, which is um, I guess just – a little bit about ASIO and diversity in ASIO. I mean, I, I don't know if you can talk a little bit about about that. Yeah, thanks again uh, for the opportunity. Uh, ASIO, like all the agencies across the NIC in particular, has been uh, very earnestly working towards enhancing and, and driving a diversity agenda for the organisation. Uh, our plan for the next four years is publicly available. It's on our website. It explains... Uh, where we're at, what we've achieved uh, up until this point in terms of uh, what our workforce looks like today and commits to the outcomes that we want to achieve uh, and get better at. Uh, we've made great gains uh, in gender diversity, uh, but so often is the case uh, beyond gender diversity, you start digging into other forms of diversity and you find that there's a real mix match of, of performance uh, and outcome. Uh, we want to do better. Uh, we can do better. Uh, fundamentally, uh, as our strategy says, as our plan says, we know that we'll be a better organisation with a diverse workforce, not just because people will be able to relate to us and have greater trust in us as an organisation, but because we'll get better thought, better analytical skills, better investigative skills, better operational capabilities through a diverse workforce. Inside the organisation, so much that's part of that is making people feel welcome uh, we've got an array of working groups and uh, and group focus groups across the organisation that sort of traverse the array of diversity uh, groups. Uh, they're very uh, dominant in the organisation, uh, whether it be from gender diversity through to introverts network that got some media uh, just recently. Uh, we want people to feel safe. We want them to feel welcome. We want them to feel they have a voice and that they can influence and shape the direction of the of the agency. But look, you know, while I'm plugging ASIO, I, I know that this is the case in, in all of our That's agencies. That's a good question for the whole It really is. It's a, it's a big thing. And, you know, I know that, Carl, you've been leading this across the community as a diversity champion and that O&I is very strongly pushing this as a, as a very important part of the, of the work of the community. Yeah, look, it's, it, it's, I think, I've, as I've said before, it is, it is one of those key aspects in terms of, our, I think, our, our broader community effort to try and encourage diversity in all its different forms. Uh, and being able to to add to the cap, cap, capability and capacity of our agencies uh, is is fundamental in terms of the workforce, um, and then being able to bring bring people in that so that we better reflect the society that we are trying to, to protect uh, and uphold. I think is 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 fundamental. So I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of work to be done, um, but it's 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 been good. I think in terms of the response of of agencies working together, the networks working together that we have. Um, and in terms of um, in terms of doing things like this podcast, I think has been really um, helpful uh, and engaging people uh, in a different way. Yeah, and we do see a lot of diversity in our students here at the university, and it's really encouraging. A lot very keen to join the community, so I suspect um, change is not actually all that far away. There's a, there are a lot of people putting up their hands, so that is one one myth that we've sort of addressed. Um, you've talked about people not self selecting out. Um, not opting out because they don't think they'll get through a process. Can I ask, are there any others, any other messages that you'd like to pass on to the 
those who come from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds? Um, that we look at ethnicity during the vetting process. So a lot of people assume if you have an ethnic, ethnically diverse background, then um, you won't even get looked at. I've, I've heard people, I mean, this goes to the self-selecting, but I have heard a number of people kind of say that there's no point in me applying because my name alone will mean I'm rejected from the process. That is not true. Um, I One of the first cases I worked on was someone who was not born in Australia. They came from Africa. Um, they look very different to me. Their name was not an Anglo-Saxon name. And frankly, it was a fantastic case to do. Like it was um, as straightforward as any person can be. <laughs> In a vetting case, uh, because there's a lot of always complexities. There's no such thing as the perfect clearance holder. Um, but it was, I still remember this case. It stands out so clearly in my mind because before coming into vetting, it was not the kind of cases that I thought I'd be, wor- be working on because I had heard all of the rumors. And it just, it wasn't true. And I, the longer I'm in vetting, the more I see a larger diverse range of people coming through and obviously feeling comfortable in putting in those applications and trying to get through the process, which is fantastic. I really like seeing that. And as a result, I have seen our community within the NIC but also within ASIO become more diverse and that's what we need. Yeah. I think we've heard a couple of times, if not through this series, then in general conversations from people who talk about family and the different perceptions. In fact, I think it was Raj too. Um, the definition of family different differs across different cultures. And you're filling out a form. You talked about the pack. Mm-hmm. It's pretty formulaic. How do people who may not be able to answer all the questions or who may worry that they're not necessarily answering them correctly go through this process? What avenues are there for them to really get through it in a way that they can be honest and transparent but also engage effectively? Yeah, in every pack there is a section that allows you to raise any concerns you might have with your analyst. Um, So feel free to use that option. If you want to add additional notes, whether it's in the margins or attaching extra pieces of paper, we are never going to say no to more information. Uh, If you consider someone family and there's a section on family, put them down. You will have an opportunity to sit in front of someone and explain, and that is perfectly fine. Yep. I think I think some of the issues that do come up, are particularly um, for people, is also the, the way relationships work between family members and, mm-hmm. and things like that, particularly in a cultural community sense. I know that a couple of people have raised at different times issues around who you consider family, what you might choose to share or not share, um, and then the, I guess some of the issues that become more complex, particularly um, as you go and talk to referees and then... Um, do those sort of checks um, and ask some of them the more sensitive or difficult questions, mm-hmm. um, that that at times can cause uh, issues. So being able to have an avenue that can uh, address those but still get the right information that you need to make an assessment is, is part of that balance and uh, awareness of that. But I, I don't know that people know that they can do the things that you've just said, right, that people are just like, oh, my God, I can't. I can't, uh, I shouldn't say anything because I don't know what they're going to do with it. Um, and I think that's that's an issue. It's an important point, I think, just to reinforce about the confidentiality of the process and that often 
a vetting candidate will raise with us and disclose information that they may not have actually disclosed to their to their family. Yeah. Uh, and they're worried that we're then going to go and seek a reference and we're going to divulge that information. And, and that just is not the way the process works. Fundamentally, we want you to be open and honest with us. Uh, we'll protect that information. We'll ensure that, that anything that you don't feel comfortable or have not yet been able to talk to your family or your dear friends about, whatever that might be, that it's confidential within the process. So don't be fearful. Again, I'll, I'll reinforce that point that you can't be open and honest you can be, uh, and you know the process is designed, and you'll encounter vetting analysts who themselves reflect a vast array of the diversity of the community. Uh, you'll encounter people, and if you're not sure, ask. As Vanessa said, we train vetting analysts to make people feel comfortable, to make them feel open, and that they can divulge information. That's what we want them to be able to do. So don't feel that you need to again. I know I'm hammering this point, but it's important. <laughs> yeah. Don't feel that you need to withhold. Yeah, that's a good point to hammer, I think. So don't opt out is one. But what other positive messages can we give to them today to try and encourage more people to apply? It's not just one person making the decision. Um, right. So obviously while well, the information that you provide, we maintain confidentiality around that. However, there are obviously people within the vetting authority that need to know um, and that's because the pros throughout the process, so you have your vetting analyst and they will make a recommendation. They are not the ones that decide. It goes through a quality assurance process before it even gets to a delegate. And then it goes to a delegate who also evaluates the procedural fairness that's been undertaken to try and limit any biases that may have, hopefully haven't, but may have crept up in the process because we're all human, including vetting analysts. So it's not one person who decides to take a dislike or like to someone that is making that decision. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. I think a, a last message to me would be we want you to get your clearance. You, you've Whether you're at the start of your career and you're excited about the opportunity that's ahead of you, uh, in all likelihood you've gone through a competitive selection process, you've been recruited, the agency that wants to employ you wants you to get that clearance and we want you to get that clearance. It's not a process that is skewed towards being discreet to the point of selecting people out. We want you to succeed and therefore, again, be open and honest, engage with the process. We want you to get the clearance. Yeah, that's a great message. Can I ask one follow-up on that? And it's a question that is asked of me semi-regularly, having worked in the recruitment area. If you don't get through once, can you, and you don't get a lot of feedback to be, let's be honest, um, and there are obvious reasons for that, but does that mean you'll never get a clearance? Not at all. It's a point in time assessment. So um, someone who applies when they're 18, a couple of extra years under their belt, they may then be considered suitable. For so that's a maturity thing potentially? Potentially, yeah. It depends. I mean, not everyone is suitable. I mean, um, but as we've kind of discussed, it is a, a stressful process and maintaining a clearance can be stressful as well. Having said that, though, there are plenty of people who have applied and not been successful and then who have applied again further down the line and have been. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Excellent. I think we've run out of time, actually. Uh, look, I, I was going to say to say thank you to you and Melissa for coming on. I think it's a, it's a really positive sign uh, to have... Um, people from ASIO coming to talk about security clearances and how uh, how they are applied, how 
um, people might engage with the process and uh, I think to give people a better sense of, of the direction of travel and also to hear a little bit about the changes that, that are coming up. Uh, I think it really um, is very encouraging for, for all of us, as I said earlier, to, to see the community engaging more broadly uh, for our national security and intelligence services to be part of that broader community. So um, it's, a, it's a great step. So thank you for coming today from, from my perspective. Thank you. Uh, and just a shout out, thank you to Vanessa and all the Vanessas that are in our uh, <laughs> vetting capability. They're fundamentally a really highly specialised and critical part of our team and we're really, 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 really happy with them. So thanks for letting us come along. Thank you thanks. both very much and thank you, Carl. Thanks, Carolyn.